for all the talk about who's going to start at quarterback for UCLA, this game, honestly, against San Diego State is going to be won in the battle of the trenches. You are locked on UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Locked On UCLA. I'm your host, Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer. Thanks for making the show your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever we get your episodes on audio platforms like Spotify, Apple, just to name a few. Or if you watch it on YouTube, thanks for viewing it. And if you do both, why, we thank you very much for your support. Hit that download button, like it, subscribe, leave a review. It's your team every day. Go Bruins. Thanks for becoming an everydayer because we've been talking hoops, football, and everything for the last few weeks with all the exciting start of college football and with the eventual and finally the arrival of Adaimara and Berke Boyantunjil. Try and say that 10 times fast. This episode is brought to you by Game Time. If you're trying to get last-minute tickets to the UCLA-San Diego State game on the road, Game Time is your place to go. Download the app and you can get $20 off your first purchase if you put in the promo code Locked On College when you create an account, download the app, go get some game time action. In the meantime, UCLA football takes on the Aztecs. Both teams coming in unbeaten. San Diego State of the Mountain West is 2-0 in their first two wins in Week 0 against Ohio and then beating Idaho, Idaho State in Week two, in week 1. Say that 10 times fast. And UCLA coming off their victory over Coastal Carolina. Can the Bruins find a way to be 2-0? Absolutely. I think this is a matchup that totally favors UCLA. It's a complete different style, and it'll be a completely different game. And most importantly, they're on the road in what I expect to be a mostly hostile environment. I'm not sure how the San Diegans, the Aztec faithful, will react. I do think all those available seats that might be available right now will be swept up and should be a near sellout with the Bruins going into their first road game of the year much earlier than they did in 2022. Where this game will be won or lost, despite all the debate about Dante Moore, Colin Schley, and Ethan Garbers, is who is going to protect them for the offensive line and the defensive line coming up in this game, right? Because the Bruins, regardless of who's playing quarterback between Dante or Ethan or even Schley's in there, if they're not going to block up front, Against a decent, so far, San Diego State defensive line, they've been able to get some sacks, a couple of tackles for loss, but nothing truly overwhelming against teams that have passed the ball a lot, like Ohio, because they trailed at the end, and Idaho State, who almost exclusively threw the football around the yard. They haven't truly dominated, fully rushing the quarterback and getting a lot of quarterback pressures, like the Bruins' own defensive line did. We'll talk about them in just a moment. But if UCLA can't handle any pressure, just like against Coastal Carolina, who didn't come in with this vaunted defense, right? They had lost their single-season sack record holder, did Coastal Carolina. They lost another D lineman. They had missed a couple of DBs, so the Bruins were expected to maybe put up some points against the shot to clears. And while they moved the ball, in the end, they didn't punch in the end zone as much as we would have liked in Week 1. And only time will tell how good Coastal Carolina will be under their new head coach, Tim Beck. Bowling Green had an up-and-down season. The last Sunbelt team the Bruins played in South Alabama ended up having a much better season than most would have expected, with UCLA escaping with a win against a pretty good football team. And we hope Coastal Carolina goes on to have similar success. 
Now with San Diego State, they've been a dominant defensive team. They've been able to get wins and jump and go all around. And maybe not dominance the word, but they force turnovers. And if UCLA doesn't protect up front, remember, as Ben Bolch has put out, much of the surprise, we've got Bruno Finau, you've got Josh Carlin, two guys that are starting in spots on the offensive line. And I'm not going to really pick, pick their games too much, really call them out individually. But you're playing with an offensive line that's less deep, that has less depth than it did a year ago. Some places to replace some key guys that are moving on to the NFL or playing big-time football. And you've got some transfers who just didn't win the job immediately where they were starters, where they were like a Kadir Kunta, Jake Wiley from Colorado. Now UCLA just has to find a way, even if Garbers ends up starting, right? Or say Chip Kelly throws the biggest wrinkle of them all and it's Colin Schley, or maybe he throws in Ben Bolch from the LA Times. It doesn't matter. If the Bruins don't block up front and give their running back some holes to run through for a little bit, even though Carson Steele's a freak athlete, even though Harden looked really good in week one, if Dante Garbersley have no time to throw, no time to maneuver in the pocket, the two interceptions came on a two of the three interceptions came with more getting a having a free run from a defender. Garbers getting smacked and throwing the football. Overall, those decisions maybe weren't the worst. I would say the two quarterback interceptions based on the lack of a good blocking blocking up front. It was Moore who made the bad decision, just flicking it up, throwing it up, up for grabs in the end zone where he could have just tucked it and held it to the ground. If UCLA doesn't block against a San Diego State team that's going to pride themselves on running the football and taking control of possession, if UCLA is facing third and long, second and long, you're not putting yourself in a winnable situation against a team that prides itself on getting some defensive stops. They've got some good linebackers, some decent DBs, and... It'll be unique to see. I was reading the the East Village Time Times, I believe, from the San Diego area, and they wrote a good little preview to it. One of the biggest matchups will be the the DBs outside for J. Michael Sturdivant, whether it's Des Malone or Noah, I believe I can't even read my own writing, but there's a couple of DBs on the outside that might have to couple cover J. Michael Sturdivant. That's not gonna matter if the D line breaks through the offensive line and Moore and Garbers and Slee are just going check down every time. And that might work against San Diego State, but it's not going to work when you're going to face Utah in a few weeks in the Pac-12 opener. It won't work when you're wanting to keep up the pace with the USC later this season, even though I don't think their defense is as good as San Diego State's. That's a whole other debate for another time. There's going to be some sneaky good teams like Oregon State, Washington State, teams you play at home or on the road in Pac-12 play despite missing Washington and Oregon this year where the Bruins are going to need to keep it up front. Defensively, a lot of the pressure generated from the D-line in week one led to some success. Latu, who got credited with three sacks. Then you've got the Murphy twins. Gabriel Murphy, I believe. I could be messing it up. But whatever. Well, the Mercy, both of the Murphy twins, all the D-line, were getting graded highly on the quote-unquote pro football focus pass rushing. The couple of the best D-line performances so far based on tackles for loss, QB hurries, and pressures and eventual sacks in week one. And that's against the team that was bringing back quite a bit offensively in Coastal Carolina. For San Diego State, they've had a lot of penalties. I talked about this in the most recent Locked On UCLA episode, if you're an everydayer, how both teams are a little sloppy and whoever plays a lot cleaner football will be important. The Aztecs released their two deep. I saw it from the, you know, on Twitter, and it said, that what we were expecting, at least I was expecting, I was reading some of the San Diego uh, 
write-ups for their San Diego State write-ups for their football team, they're expecting Brandon Crenshaw-Dixon, who is their most veteran offensive lineman they've got available. He's played the most career snaps, most career games for San Diego State on their active roster on the offensive line. He's a two-time starter, a senior, should be a leader. But according to what it said on the East Village Times, he was supposed to be coming back from a two-game suspension. I'm not sure what, if that's how accurate that is. But he did not play in the first two games. And on San Diego State's most re- most recently released depth chart, their most experienced offensive experienced offensive lineman is still not on the two deep. That could change. That might not. I'm not sure what Brady Hoke did. I didn't see anything specifically. But Brandon Crenshaw Dixon is one of the guys that was expected to maybe go against Latu because Jaden Maiden, Jalen Maiden is a left-handed quarterback. So a little bit different when it comes to protecting the blind side for a southpaw as opposed to what 90 billion percent of the quarterbacks are nowadays, which is our right-handed throwers outside of a couple outliers. I know two is in the NFL and I know Maiden will be a unique as a former converted safety and a quarterback uh, schematic, you know, mental job for Danton Lynn because he runs and he can throw it more run first, then pass second. It's up to Christian Jones and Brandon Crenshaw Dixon. If Dixon's even available to play, if they even have him play at all, so even San Diego State's offensive line, which has been called for three to four holding penalties in their first couple of games, can they handle the UCLA pressure? And that's with a running attack. So if the Bruins can force San Diego State behind the eight ball, this is a team that's averaging over 200 rushing yards a game. That's going to be emphasized every single time we do a podcast leading into the San Diego State game. And yes, I know who they've played, but they still pounded the rock and their quarterbacks run like crazy. The Bruins have to be careful in a game where if the Aztecs dominate time of possession, just like Coastal Carolina did a week one, it might not turn out the same for UCLA. So if the Bruins can get that Latu pressure, if they can dominate making sure they find the gaps, fill them, don't let San Diego State run all over them. San Diego State's running with a converted quarterback from a safety position, a walk-on running back, and a not exactly depleted offensive line, but one that could be much stronger once they have everybody in, whether it be personal reasons, whether it be trying to deal with a punishment, maybe it's, I don't really know what's going on there, but if they're not even at their full strength. So if they get to full strength, maybe it could be a much better matchup between Latu versus the offensive line. But if he bowls through, gets tackles for loss, if, if Toia comes in, has a big game, the Bruins could be in for a fun dominating victory. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think it'll take a little bit before UCLA comes through and gets their dominant selves to the later part of the game. But if San Diego State, they're 35% on third downs. If they're five yards or less, they're converting more than 50% of the time. If they have to go six or more yards on third down, they're two of 14. That's not a good clip. So the Bruins can make sure that if they pass it, they knock it down, force a couple of lost negative plays, the Bruins will be in for a fun one against San Diego State. So the key, the line, can the Bruins protect the quarterback, give the running backs any sort of running room versus how can the Bruins push that line of scrimmage back? Can they dominate the line of scrimmage, fire off the ball without finding ways to be offsides 20 times in the first couple of games? Both teams have struggled with this. It's the team that executes that will win this game, which I think will be a low, lower scoring game maybe similar to the Coastal Carolina game. It won't be a shootout for sure. This game will move quick. The clock will run. It's up to who executes on a limited amount of plays 
based on the running schemes or line protection that the Bruins must provide whoever plays at quarterback at whatever moment. Just thoughts. I'd like to share it with you guys. So there it is. Coming up next, what is UCLA basketball's, what is Mick Cronin's team? I know I've talked about they're the mystery team. Are they top 25? Are they not even top 25? Are they a national championship contender? Well, actually, the biggest thing to talk about is, well, how is their backcourt going to play into this? We'll talk about that coming up next on Locked on UCLA. Well, just as everybody would have thought, you're thinking, hey, every potential new hire feels like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, whether you're recruiting, whether you're going out trying to find the best players, or maybe you're looking to fill an open spot, and it's the premier spot in your small business, well, you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs because they help you find the right people for your team faster and for free. You can use screening questions. It can narrow the field to who's got the right experience and the people you want to interview because you don't want to sit there wasting time interviewing the wrong candidates. So you want to narrow it down with the screening questions, other simple tools LinkedIn has, and small businesses actually rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Segment two, the Locked On UCLA podcast. Zach Anderson-Yox, I'm with you guys. Just finished ranting about the offensive and defensive lines, which will make the difference for this game for UCLA and San Diego State. But will maybe make the difference into Mick Cronin's team's year, right, is how does the backcourt play? We talked about the line of scrimmage. Now we're flipping to the hardwood because the Bruins have a select few set of guys who can play point guard, shooting guard, who's going to get buckets, who's going to handle the offense, who won't turn it over as to what might lead to a successful season. We know about the dynamic duo or potential posts or the twin posts or just how much size they can have, guys who can rotate. So from the three to five position, even if Stefanovic plays the two, they've got it almost set from the small forward position up to center. They can have a rotating set of guys all the way to who might be even on the back of the bench. The Bruins are pretty set down low. Who plays? Now that's a whole different topic and depends on who they play. It's up to the backcourt to score, to rebound, to assist, and play good defense to make sure that they're not just a front-court-dominated team. They need guys to facilitate the offense. Tiger Campbell is elite. Singleton could shoot the ball. Now, where from these five guys that have highlighted, can they do that? Dylan Andrews, Will McClendon, Jan Vide, Ilan Fible, and Sebastian Mack. Guys we've talked about all summer. Guys who were either early in the recruiting process, one of the first names Mick Cronin got out there when it came to the international recruits signing way back when, when the season ended in early April slash late March, when it came to bringing in players after the just departure of all the Bruins from last year. Let's kind of look quickly at these five players. Will McClendon 
is someone who I'd like to start with because he is necessarily the most puzzling. He's come off of the ACL tear, trying to work himself back from injury, played last year, maybe didn't seem the most mobile. And one of the biggest calling points is his shooting. His shooting has been something that has been called out by many fans alike. 20% from the field in 27 appearances, 7% from three, two of 28. But he is someone who had a really good ratio in limited time of taking care of the basketball, 22 assists to five turnovers. If he can have the athleticism of playing great defense, take care of the basketball, and somehow improve those shooting numbers, get that confidence up in real live game action. Mick Cronin talks about how after games in the last season, 22 to 23, big shot will or whatever the nickname was. If he can get his shooting numbers up, he could be one of the crucial points to UCLA succeeding this year. But if his numbers aren't good, if he can't play defense, if the mobility just isn't there, and I'm not going to go based off of one point per game, 27 minutes off the 27 appearances in limited action off the bench, but if he can play Mick Cronin style defense, take care of the basketball and hit a much more timelier shot or two than he did in limited chances the year before, he could easily be a very valuable, underrated, valuable piece. Now, is that going to happen? I do feel McClendon at the moment might be buried near the back of the bench right now. I'm not sure the back of the bench is right, but in terms of who's at the top of the list to start, well, that's going to go with Dylan Andrews, who's got much better shooting numbers than McClendon. Athletic, can jump out of the gym, 43% from the field. Not a, not super efficient, but much better than what McClendon did. 31% from three. That's not eye-popping, but somebody's got to shoot it. And Andrews had multiple opportunities to hit game-winning shots. If he can get that number much closer to 40%, 35% at a much higher clip, much more efficient, then he can easily be a dominant point guard if he's asked to score more. The one thing is he did have a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio, maybe not the craziest in limited action, but it's his high energy, his enthusiasm, his passion on the floor that if he can do that as a sophomore, still a youngster, considering the Bruins were coming from a fifth-year senior in Tiger Campbell, a fourth-year starter, can the Bruins find a way to do something in 10 minutes a game that Dylan Andrews did last year as opposed to bring that to success this year? I don't know, but he's going to get that first crack at starting. He is the legit starter for now. Can he do that? I'm, I'm not sure. On a consistent basis, we'll find out. Jan Vide, he's someone who had some good defensive moments in Spain from looking at the box score, missed that last game where the Bruins lost. He is someone that is going to compete at least for the backup spot with McClendon to back up Andrews or maybe, dare I say, the starting two spot in a very successful campaign heading into 23-24. And arguably, it might be important to who wins the job behind Andrews as is important to who wins the starting role because, say, Andrews is having an off game, someone's got to come in and play point guard. I know... Better K joked with the bro report guy saying, I can play from one through five. I'll play anywhere. But you're going to want someone who's got some point guard experience. And Vide does that in a 6'5 body, much taller, coming overseas, can score. But we'll see if that defense translates into something important. Now, Alain Fible, he's not necessarily going to play point guard. Someone who can play one, two, maybe a three is a 6'6 body, a four star product out of France. Didn't exactly have the most impressive of minutes. And I think was a little slow, turned it over quite a bit, and found himself on the wrong side of maybe too many turnovers in those Spain games, the first couple of opportunities. And then you've got Sebastian Mack, right? 
Mack, where he averaged 24 points per game in high school, six rebounds a game, five assists per game as a senior in high school. Can he bring those scoring numbers into the college game? He's not going to score 24 points per game as a college freshman. That's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen, but he is going to ask to be asked to score a lot. He did score 17 points, double figures in all three games in Spain against some European pros. How good, how bad, we didn't get to see that. He will be asked to shoot a bulk of the shots for a team that's looking for scoring. He didn't shoot so well, 37%. So while he might average double figures, 15 a game, that'd be really good for Mac when the Bruins finally get a full, full roster. And that's a lot to ask for a, a freshman coming in as a guard that we don't really know the upside could be very high, but it's the efficiency that can be important. So what combination between McClendon, Andrews, Vide, Fible, and Mac is going to get the job done scoring, play some good defense, and most importantly, run the McCronin offense, which might be a lot of the times feeding Stefanovic, finding them from open screens, working pick and roll with Berke, lobbing it up to Mara, and then feeding Bona, and mixing all those guys in addition to other players I did not mention, who is it going to be? Andrews has the first shot. Max got the first shot with Cronin's high praise of him talking about his scoring. But the other guys, the Feeble, if he can dominate defensively and take care of the basketball, but Clendon, if he can continue his efficiency of assist to turnover ratio and improve those shooting numbers, can be very vital down the stretch. And Vide, that's something. We got to see how he recovers. If he was truly injured a lot, in that Spain trip, or if Vide comes in and is the backup point guard, he's a big body. If he can play defense, the Bruins can find a way to utilize him in a lot of spaces this season. So the backcourt, that's where the season is going to be won and lost, in my opinion. Even if, say, Mara or Berke is still maybe not fully up to speed right away, one or two, you still got Nuba and Williams as a potential third or fourth option. Brandon Williams, I'd even throw out there, is a six seven could play a small power forward, if you will. You still got, hopefully, a very healthy Adembono when he's ready, the reigning Pac-12 freshman of the year. So this season is going to come down to the backcourt, playing well, efficiently, defensively, and scoring. Because someone's got to score, and someone, most importantly, has to shoot the basketball. You don't have Singleton anymore. Hawkeye shot it decently. So did Campbell. Even Bailey shot better. Who is going to replicate those numbers in this season. Those are all questions that must be answered if the Bruins are to be national championship contenders in March of 2024. Coming up next, we got Throwback Thursday. It's a segment I did a long time ago, where sometimes before the the week's matchup, I'd kind of look at a previous matchup between a couple of schools like UCLA, San Diego State, football-wise. What was interesting that I noticed? What's changed since that last matchup? Unfortunately, in 2019, the Bruins' first and only ever loss to the San Diego State Aztecs, something of a low point in Chip Kelly's tenure early, early on back in 19. And who are some of the NFL bodies on that team? A lot of players all around the field that still playing in the NFL, maybe are a free agent or had a cup of coffee. We'll talk about that coming up next on Locked On UCLA. I'm telling you, if you have not got your tickets, if you're for some reason got no plans on Saturday night, when the Bruins are taking on San Diego State, I know we can sit in the comfy confines of your couch. I know it's all good. But if for some reason you're sitting there Saturday morning and you're like, I can make a trip to San Diego. I can make this happen. Let's go check out Snapdragon, see how cool the new stadium is. Well, they've got the last minute flash deals for you on game time. It's the perfect place. It is the place for last minute deals. 
You don't need to plan in advance. Forget that. We're SoCal. We kind of move. We do whatever. Game time has deals right up to the day of the event. Exclusive flash deals on tickets like football, just to name one of many events you can go to. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you for 110% of the difference. I think you should go look for tickets and cheer on the Bruins to victory against San Diego State. You can snag your tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app. Create an account. Use the promo code Locked On College. That's one word. You can see it if you're watching on YouTube. Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Create an account. Redeemable code Locked On College for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Third and final segment of Locked On UCLA podcast. Zach Anderson, Yox, I'm with you guys as the Bruins prepare to take on San Diego State. Well, what has changed since these last two teams played back in 2019? And I know it's locked on UCLA and I can be a homer, you know, pump up the music, play the optimism. But the last time the two teams met on the football field, on the gridiron, in the Rose Bowl, it didn't go according to plan. So on the dropping of this podcast was the anniversary of UCLA's loss in 2019 to San Diego State. And I know UCLA has... So many wins. They dominated the series for so long. It was San Diego State's iconic moment, right? September 7th, 2019. It was right after the Bruins had an early Thursday loss against Cincinnati, 24-14. It's when DTR grabbed the starting position and did not relinquish control until he finished his career in 2023, 2022 with UCLA after five years as the UCLA quarterback. A game that finished in the middle of the day, 23-14, sandwiched between that road game at Cincinnati, the home loss against Oklahoma, a couple weeks before arguably one of the greatest UCLA games of all time when they took on Washington State and won 67-63, one of DTR's most iconic moments, one of the greatest games arguably in college football history. Well, this game against the Aztecs was not. So while they were still two weeks away from putting up 67 points in Pullman, the Bruins didn't have a DTR pick, only put up 14 points, actually led this game 7-0, and then it was the Aztec defense that held the Bruins off the scoreboard for a large portion, trail by a score going into the fourth, and couldn't do anything against the defense. That just kept the Bruins in check. So what were some of the more important statistics coming into this game for UCLA against San Diego State? Well, if you remember, who is the starting quarterback? DTR. That's none, none too crazy. Josh Kelly, hey, remember that name? NFL running back. Only had 53 yards and a touchdown on 15 carries. Demetric Felton, he's gone on to do better things too. He only had 35 yards, 20 yards rushing, 28 yards rushing. You've got Devin Asiasi, who had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Greg Dolchich in the NFL. Kyle Phillips in the NFL. You've had even Chase Cota, who's gone on and went to Oregon. Meanwhile, for San Diego State, their starting quarterback was Ryan Agnew, not to be confused with the YouTuber. I did do that research, who has a YouTuber of the same name. They're not the same guy. So don't be confused if you're thinking he's scrubby. No. This is Ryan Agnew, who threw for 293 yards for the Aztecs, a touchdown, no picks. The leading receiver for San Diego State that day, Kobe Smith, seven receptions, 131 yards, a touchdown. I did a little digger, a deeper dive 
into his career. I did some digging and that was one of the highlights of his career. He finished his career in 2022 in Lindenwood. Do you know where Lindenwood University is? I don't know what it is, but that's at the FCS level. So he came and was torching guys for UCLA who also had on the line Osa Odigizua, who has also made it to the NFL, right? Different players who are part of the Bruins. And with NFL players littered all over the field, a team in 2019, UCLA, 4-8, the highlight of the season was the you know, the fun win against Washington State 2019. I know the Bruins had some setbacks elsewhere, but this was arguably the low point. They had an eventual FCS receiver. Uh, he was still very talented. He had a good game against UCLA, Kobe Smith. And the Bruins got torched. And what's going to be interesting heading into this week, if you want to bring the connections, right? San Diego State had an early game against Weber State, an FCS team from the Big Sky, a good team at the FCS level, Weber, Weber State. And San Diego State only won that game 6 nothing heading into that game against UCLA. 6 nothing against an FCS team. So much to our dismay as UCLA fans, why were we frustrated when the Bruins couldn't win at home against San Diego State, a program they had never lost to, and it took their arguably one of their lowest moments in program history to lose at home in the middle of the day at the Rose Bowl that was probably emptier than all get-out against the Aztecs. Well, San Diego State, 2-0, coming in this year, a one-score victory against Idaho State, who is one of the lowest-tier teams in the big sky at the FCS. Like Weber State, Really good football team can play great defense, especially four years ago. Idaho State is, despite having a new coach and everything in between, is probably near the bottom of that list in terms of FCS teams that could beat FBS teams. So despite wanting to look at, oh, who did San Diego State play against Ohio? Well, their quarterback got hurt and San Diego State got the win. Not that would have changed anything, but that did make an impact in that game. Idaho State using two quarterbacks throughout the game, Hunter Hayes, and throwing it 60 times, a game where San Diego State played very sloppy. And I know you can't compare overall, but it is a weird time, right? The last time the Bruins played, you get some tape. The Aztecs didn't play against an FCS opponent very well the week before, and they come out and stun you on your home field. Well, Chip Kelly, I know, has to have this game in the back of his memory as one of his more low moments in his college football coaching career. I know there's upsets. I know there's craziness, but for a team that had an empty Rose Bowl, losing to San Diego State is probably one of the bottom tier moments as a UCLA fan. And I know you don't want to bring this up in a throwback Thursday, but since then, UCLA has gone 25 and 18. Things have slightly picked up three or two straight winning seasons in 21 and 22. You mix in the COVID season after that. The Bruins have won some football games, San Diego State's been really good. They've been 33-15 and 15 if you include their two wins this year. They're a pretty good team in the Mountain West, and they've dominated. They've gone on to have a winning record against Pac-12 Power 5 teams. Pac-12 teams, I forget what the stat was off the top of my head. They beat Utah the year they went to the Rose Bowl. So it's not like San Diego State was falling down to earth. They were only rising to bigger and better things outside of last year's 7-6 and six bowl season for the Aztecs, where they lost to Middle Tennessee State to end their season in Hawaii. UCLA is only built from that moment. DTR's one of his shining moments happened a couple of weeks later, and they had a lot of players in the NFL from this team, and were they were just building. So imagine what Chip Kelly can do with the portal now. Because remember, in 2020, the portal hadn't really become a thing, and immediate eligibility didn't happen until 
2020. So now think of how much has flipped simply because of the portal, because of Chip Kelly's building and talent, and all of a sudden establishing a system, wiping away the Jim Mora era, and bringing it into his own. I know there hasn't been a 10-win season, but maybe this is the year. I know there's a lot of question marks because of the quarterbacks, the defense, the line, and everything else in between. But hey, just think of how far we've come from 2019 and that what we're arguing about is, hey, we've got a quarterback who's been in the system for a few years. You've got a dual-threat quarterback, and then you've got a five-star freshman, arguably one of the more talented quarterbacks the Bruins have ever had since Josh Rosen started as a true freshman back in 2015. I think things have changed for the better since then, although that was a low moment on September 7th of 2019. The Bruins will look to exact revenge coming up shortly in Snapdragon, and I think they will. We'll give you that prediction episode and more UCLA basketball content on the next episode of Locked On UCLA. Keys to the game, more matchups to watch. I'll tell you coming up in the final episode of the week prior to our reaction of the UCLA-San Diego State game. I'm Zach Anderson-Yoxheimer. Thanks for tuning in. Hit that download button for the audio. Hit the subscribe button. Like it. Thanks for your support. Leave a review. Get your hands up, Bruins fans. It's a clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You, C, L, A, UCLA, fight, fight, fights. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.